It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It is all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. I want to welcome you to Miami Valley Church. Thank you for allowing us into the church that's meeting in your home this morning. My name is Pastor Jed, and I'm so thankful that we get to share uh, this time together, that we get to engage in God's truth, that we get to praise Him together. If you joined us last week, you'll know that Dr. Cox led us through that passage in Isaiah. And it's a picture of worship. It's a true picture of what it looks like to focus on him, to turn from everything else and to focus on him. That when we see him, we see how perfect he is. We see uh, just how uh, majestic he is. And then we focus back on us. When we see him and we look back at us, we see how filthy we are. We see how perfect our God is. And so that's what I wanna start off today by doing is by praising him. Let's start off today in worship. Let's start off today with praising him for who he is. And so the church that is meeting in your home right now, would you do this? Would you go ahead and stand? If you are physically able right now, would you stand? Let's stand up and let's start off our time this morning just praising him wherever you're at right now, all across the country, uh, all across our community, all across the world, wherever you're at, uh, let us just uh, raise one voice to tell him exactly who he is. I'm going to start us off today. And if you want to uh, just share who he is in the church with me in your home, would you share that out loud today? Just tell him exactly who he is. We're gonna praise him for uh, just a short time. And if you wanna to continue to praise him, would you just hit pause on our broadcast and just continue to praise him in the church that's meeting your home. I'm gonna wrap us up in prayer and we're gonna go through the rest of this passage and then get into his teaching uh, today, his truth. And so let me start us off today. Would you go ahead and stand with me and let's praise him for who he is. Lord, there are so many things that we could focus on right now, God. There are so many distractions in our life, so many things that we have been uh, staring at, situations, uh, just so many things. But God, right now, we turn our focus on you. It's all about you. Right now, we focus our, our sight on you. Our gaze is set on you. Hmm. God, you are so good. 
You are holy. You are mighty. You are comforter. You are healer. You are powerful. You are all-knowing. You are everlasting. You are sovereign. You are omnipresent. You are creator. You are so beautiful. We are in awe of you. You are absolutely breathtaking. You are our rock. You are our fortress. You are our strong tower who we can run to. You are constant. You are never changing. You are father. You are lover of my soul. You are pursuer. You are mighty. You are a warrior. You are a conqueror. You are eternal. You are ever present. You are a shepherd. You are our shield. You are our protector. You are provider. You are jealous. We praise you, God. We praise you, God. When we look at you, how perfect you are, we see ourselves for who we are. We are not worthy to be in your presence. We are filthy. Just as we read in Isaiah, we are filthy. Our speech is filthy. The, the deepest things in our heart are filthy. We thank you for Jesus, for what you have done for us. We thank you for covering us in the blood of Jesus Christ, your one and only Son. You and you alone are worthy of all the praise. God, you are amazing. There are so many things that we could focus on right now. So many things that we've been walking through, so many things that we've been carrying around. So many uh, distractions right now. We turn to you, we focus on you. We set our sight on you. You are seated on your throne right now. You are beautiful in all of your splendor, in your majesty. You are brilliant. 
You are our morning star, bright and shining. You are light, you are beautiful. Conqueror, redeemer, you have redeemed us. You have pursued us each day of our life. You are rescuer. Lord, we thank you so very much. We thank you for this time right now uh, that you have invited us into to get a glimpse of you, to see exactly who you are, how, how kind you are, how patient you are with us, the mercy that you pour out over us, giving us what we don't, uh, what we couldn't earn, and not giving us what we truly deserve. You are merciful. You are so wonderful. We are in awe of you. You are perfect. God, we thank you that we get to spend this time right now just praising you, worshiping you for who you are. With one voice, God, we praise you in our homes, all over these neighborhoods, all over this community, all over this, this state, this country, all over this world, God. You deserve all of the praise. You are worthy. You and you alone are worthy. You are the King of kings. Your word tells us that, that kings will stand in your presence speechless. You are mighty. There is none like you. God, we love you so much. We thank you so very much for what you have done for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Hey, if you need to keep uh, going, if you need to keep praising, if you, if you want to, to continue in praise right now, please go ahead and just hit, hit pause on this broadcast. There's nothing more important you can do that any of us can do uh, but praise Him. It is the most important thing we can do each and every day is to praise Him, and we're learning that. We're learning that everything needs to start in praise. And so I want to invite you to, to continue to do that. Uh, go ahead and hit pause. But as we go through this passage, I want to continue. As we start off in praise and we start off focusing on him, we see him uh, for who he is, how perfect he is, how wonderful he is. We see ourselves. We see ourselves as, as, as filthy, as unworthy to even be in his presence. Uh, and then we see we see what he's done for us. We see what he has done for us through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That if we truly believe that he sent his one and only son right here to this earth to put on flesh just like us, to live a life blameless, faced with every single sin that we are faced with, yet he lived a blameless life. He went to a cross 
bearing our sins, my sin, your sin, nailing it to that cross, dying on that cross and, and being placed in a tomb. But that's not where he is now. See, three days after that, he rose. And if we believe that, if you believe that, if you've never said yes, if you've never said yes to Jesus coming into your heart, do you see what he's done for you? He has made a way that we get to spend an eternity with our God forever. That sin has been covered by Jesus. And if you invite him into your heart today, he wants to show you a real personal relationship. He wants to show you that, that he is a God who loves you, that he has done the unthinkable for you. He has been pursuing you all the days of your life. And he wants to live in your heart. Would you say yes to him today? If you've never said yes to him, I wanna invite you to do that right now. There is nothing more important that you can do your eternity matters. Would you text Jesus? If you made that decision today, would you text Jesus to the number below? I wanna come alongside you, help you, encourage you, and pray with you through that decision. We see in that passage in Isaiah 6, for those who have said yes to Jesus, for those who are following after Jesus, there is a call. He says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, send me. We have been called out. We have been called to go and to share this good news. This is good news. And if you're not excited right now, there's something wrong. We have been, we have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. And we get to share that with a world who is dying. We get to share that with a world who has no hope. And so we get to go out each and every day. And it doesn't mean that we, we have to go uh, you know, across the world. It doesn't mean that we have to go uh, even to uh, another, another place. No, we get to do that right here in our homes. We get to do that in our neighborhoods. We get to do that in our workplaces, in our communities, all throughout this valley, wherever God has us. We've been praying that prayer, God, how would you have us to love and share Jesus? He has called us to go and to share this good news. And so friends, I wanna, I wanna share with you as we've been praying that some of the things that God has been showing us and some of the opportunities that God has put before us to get to do that. Each and every Tuesday night, uh, we have been going through a book called Until Unity. It's one of the things that Jesus prayed right before he went to that cross is that we would be one. There is a dying world all around us who is looking at the church right now and they are confused. They are confused because uh, we say that we believe in this God, yet we are so divided. We say that we are, are one family, yet there is so much division between us. There's so much that is separating us. And Jesus prayed that we would be one so that the world would know that the Father sent him. And so we've been going through this book, it's called Until Unity, and I, I pray and I hope that you can join us in that. We still have copies available. Uh, we would love to get you a free copy. 
And so would you reach out to me at jedw at miamivalley.org. That's jedw at miamivalley.org. And I want to get you and your family a free copy uh, to go through that with us. Um, We've been meeting five weeks now, and we haven't even got into chapter two yet. And so there is still time. It's never too late. And it's just been an incredible time. Uh, The spirit of unity uh, just in that room and online uh, have just been incredible. And we are seeing God already working um, individually. We are seeing God work corporately uh, on some things that that he is, is wanting to change things that don't look like him, whether in our lives personally uh, or in uh, the church. And so it has just been incredible to hear God as he speaks those truths to us. And so I hope that you can join us Tuesday nights, eight o'clock, whether in person at the Carnegie Center in Miamisburg, Ohio, or on Zoom. If you uh, want that link, would you email me again at jedw at miamivalley.org and I will send you that link each and every Tuesday, 8 p.m. And friends, with that, I wanna uh, continue. If you have a prayer request, we we pray for each other during that time. We lift up uh, those prayer requests and it is just amazing. Uh, Just this last Tuesday, we we, um, opened up our time uh, after praise with just any prayer requests and we were just reminded by God's word that he hears our prayers. That, that same God that we just praised this morning, he hears our prayers. How amazing is that? The creator of the universe hears you. And so friends, if you have prayer requests, would you let us know? Uh, you can let us know at uh, my email, jedw at miamivalley.org, and I will get those uh, to where they need to go. And so please reach out to us if you have any prayer requests. Uh, We want to pray with you and for you as we go on this journey together. Friends, as we have been called, as we have been sent to go share this good news, God has just been uh, continuing to open doors. Um, He has given us opportunities. He is putting people all around us, people that we uh, had never seen right here in this valley. And so one of the things that is coming up October 3rd, Uh, a couple Sundays from now, we are going to be joining other churches all over this valley in uh, something they are calling Dayton Undivided. Uh, It's by God's timing, which is perfect. We've been going through this book until unity, and here is uh, this this movement that's happening where where churches are coming together and they're saying, uh, it's not about our our little church's name. It's not about uh, egos. We're putting all those down. We're, we're breaking down walls and barriers between denominations, and we are uniting as the body of Christ. And so, friends, it's going to be uh, a great time. And um, I want to share just a quick video with, with you real quick of just uh, kind of what that's going to look like. And so check this out. God, collectively, as your people, we pray for healing in your city. We come before you on behalf of our city to repent and to turn away from anything that has kept us from being undivided. We We have a dream. We are breaking agreements with things that cause destruction and we are building agreements with healing and justice and peace. We want you to have your way, God. We want your kingdom to reign, your power, your love, and your kindness. We need your hope. We stand together as a people called and reconciled by you. In every realm of our society, we want you to reign in our hearts, systems, and institutions. We We have have a dream of dating undivided.
So I hope that you can join us October 3rd. It's going to start at 4 p.m. And we are going to walk as one body. Churches all over this valley. Uh, that's going to be an incredible time. So I hope that you can join us 4 o'clock. And then we will walk to Levitt Pavilion in downtown Dayton, uh, where we will have a time of praise and worship together as one body right there in the middle of this valley where God has placed us. I hope that you can make it out October 3rd, uh, starting at 4 p.m. Friends, it's amazing to see what God is doing, not only uh, individually in our lives, uh, the stories I'm hearing of in, in homes and neighborhoods and uh, communities all over this valley, and then uh, collectively what he is doing right here in this valley. I hope that you're encouraged by this, and I am excited as we get into uh, God's word, his truth today. Uh, so prepare your hearts and let's listen to what he wants to share with us today. Grab your Bible, your mobile device, wherever you have the scriptures and find Genesis chapter 39. We're jumping back into the story of Joseph and there's a verse in Genesis 39. It's verse two that intrigues me as we read through the story of Joseph. It says this, uh, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. So check that out. Joseph is a slave in Egypt, but the scriptures say the Lord was with him and he became a successful man. All of us have this desire to find success. But as we study the story of Joseph, what we find out is that success isn't found in the in the job that we have or the position that we hold or the, uh, the degrees that we obtain. It isn't found in the amount of wealth that we have or the place where we live. It's not found in how good you look, but success is found in the person that you are. And the person that you are is determined by the attitudes that you have. And so as we wrap up over the next several weeks, the story of Joseph, Pastor Wildridge and I are going to talk with you under the context of four attitudes that we see in the life of Joseph. And the remainder of the Joseph story all falls underneath one of these four attitudes. So I wanna share all four of them with you today, three of them briefly, and then just zero in on one of them. And so as we look at the attitudes of Joseph, what attitudes does it take to become a successful person? I love this definition of attitude, the manner of acting, feeling, or thinking that shows one's disposition. The matter, the manner of acting, feeling, or thinking that shows one's disposition. And so what kind of attitudes do we need to have? And so uh, the attitudes that Joseph had, I think can be summarized several places, but I see it especially in chapter 45. As we uh, find in your Bibles chapter 45, but let's let's do a quick review. Joseph uh, grew up in a very dysfunctional family. He had a father uh, who loved him, but his brothers hated him. And as Joseph went just to do something for his father to find out how his brothers were, they saw him coming wearing that coat that dad had given Joseph. And it says they hated him all the more. So he was loved by his father. He was hated by his brothers. Uh, he was sold into slavery. Why was he hated by his brothers? Because Joseph had a call of God on his life. God had given Joseph some dreams about where God was taking him and he had this call in his life, but his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He gets taken to Egypt. He ends up in Potiphar's house. And as he's in Potiphar's house as a slave, as we saw in Genesis 39, uh, Potiphar's wife makes some false accusations against Joseph and they're untrue, but it gets Joseph thrown into prison. And then he's thrown into prison and he's forgotten. He interprets some dreams for two guys that were in prison uh, and he put their needs above his own and said, when you get out, just remember me, but they forgot him. And then finally, Pharaoh has some dreams and uh, the two men that had forgotten Joseph, oh yeah, we remember there's this guy in prison that interpreted our dreams and Pharaoh calls him up and Joseph interprets the dreams and says, Pharaoh, in Egypt, there's gonna be seven years of bounty and there's going to be seven years of famine. And then the time of bounty better be preparing. And so Joseph 
uh, is hired by Pharaoh and Joseph becomes second in charge in all of Egypt. No one more important in Egypt uh, except Pharaoh. The scriptures say that nobody took a step in Egypt without Joseph knowing and without Joseph approving. And so by the time the famine hits, we're about two years into the famine and Joseph's brothers uh, still living in Canaan come to Egypt to try to get food. And when they come into Joseph's presence, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph just says some things to them and puts a test on them and finds out if his father's still alive and find out if his younger brother's still alive. And they gives him some food and said, but if you ever want to come back here, if you ever want to come back uh, for more food, bring your younger brother. And so they take the food that they have back and tell their father what had happened. When it's time for more food, they say the, the man in charge said that we wouldn't be able to, to have any more food unless we bring our younger brother back. And the dad says, absolutely not. You've already, one of my sons has already died and I wouldn't be able to handle it if my youngest son dies. They well, we're not gonna get any more food. So the father says, don't you let a, a hair on his head be harmed. And so they take the younger brother back and they come into Joseph's presence and Joseph sees his younger brother. And again, he says to the brother, said, you've, you've done this, I'll, I'll give you money and I'll, I'll give you, food, but you now have to leave your younger brother here. And again, it was a test for Joseph's brothers. And they simply say, we can't do that. That would kill our father. Let one of us stay in his place. By the time you get to chapter 45 in Genesis, Joseph is having this conversation and he sends everybody out of the room except his brothers. Can you imagine the terror that they must be feeling because they have just obeyed, disobeyed the second in charge of all of Egypt? What's going to happen? And Joseph begins to speak to them and he says, I'm Joseph. And they're like, oh, what did you just say? And the scriptures say that they were dismayed, but it means they were terrified. They were trembling in fear because they knew what they had done. And now it's about time that they're going to get what they deserve. And then Joseph says to them again, now it's, I'm Joseph, your brother. And then look at verse five of Genesis 45 with me. Again, remember we're talking about attitudes. Uh, how did Joseph become a successful man? It's because of the attitudes that he had. And verse, four, verse five of chapter 45 says this, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. There is the attitude, the attitude, four attitudes all summed up in that one verse uh, about how Joseph became a successful man. So let me give you three of them very quickly and then the fourth one we'll dig into just a little bit more. The first attitude that makes us a success is this. Our attitude towards life will determine life's attitude towards us. Our attitude towards life will determine life's attitude towards us. Joseph says three times something very important in Genesis 45. You see it in Genesis 45, five, God sent me before you to preserve life. Genesis 45, seven, God sent me before you to preserve life for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Then verse chapter 45, verse eight, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you see Joseph's attitude towards life was very simply this, God is in charge and wherever I'm at, God has work for me to do. God is in charge, God is sovereign, and God is in the midst of our circumstances. Miami Valley Church, we've decided for the decade of uh, the 2020s that God has given us an attitude that we're supposed to have for life. It's not just for the 2020s, but this is our theme verse for the year. Psalm 37.3 says this, trust the Lord and do good. Six words that should determine our attitude towards life. Whatever setting, whatever circumstance, whatever problem, whatever pressure, trust the Lord and do good. He is sovereign, he is in control, he has positioned us where he wants us to be, and he has work for us to do, work that's going to be able to help people's lives get changed. That's what it means to be a success. Our attitude towards life determines life's attitude towards us. 
before you go too far with that, when you say, God's put me in this situation, I want to trust the Lord. That doesn't mean if you're just blatantly living in sin. That doesn't mean if you're blatantly disregarding God's commands and just saying, well, I can do that and this is where God wants me. No, God has given us a way that we're supposed to live. And if we're living in according to His way and if we're continually being filled with His Spirit, He has positioned us where He wants us and He has work for us to do. Trust the Lord and do good. That should be our attitude towards life. And when that's our attitude towards life, life's attitude towards us is going to change. We're going to see everything different and everything um, separate. That that. Trusting the Lord, we've discovered very quickly, it involves a life of praise, and I hope you took part in the time of praise this morning because praise is the most important thing you have to do every day. It involves seeing God for who He is, getting a glimpse of who we are, confessing our sin, finding forgiveness, finding our guilt removed. And friends, if you've never had an encounter with God through faith and trust in Jesus where He has forgiven your sins, we've come to believe and confess. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Your attitude needs to be that I am a sinner separated from a holy God and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the scriptures say you can call out to him and he will save you and that will change your perspective and it will help start changing your attitude. So attitude number one that we're going to be looking at, our attitude towards life, uh, determines life's attitude towards us. Uh, next, in the same verse, we see this, that our attitude towards obstacles can, tur can turn them into opportunities. Our attitude towards obstacles can turn them into opportunities. Again, 45, seven, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on this earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Every obstacle that Joseph ever faced, whether it was being put in a pit, whether it was being sold into slavery, whether it was being a, a slave in the Potiphar's house, whether it was being a prisoner, everything he did, he saw as an opportunity to glorify God and to do good. Living in the area where we live, Kettering is a big name. And I was doing some reading on Charles Kettering who uh, was part of the automotive movement. And I uh, read one thing about Kettering when it came time when, when he was leading an organization and they were having trouble and trying to figure out situations and he'd have to call his engineers in. When he called his engineers in, he would put a table outside of the room and put a sign on the table and the sign simply read, leave slide rules here. If you're young enough and you don't know what a slide rule is, take time to Google it. It was like an early calculator. But the engineers would carry that. And what Kettering didn't want was he didn't want his engineers to simply rely on mathematical calculations and reach a conclusion that this is impossible. And that was his point. I want us to think and I want us to to understand that there's no obstacle that we can't overcome, that every obstacle presents itself as an opportunity. And so uh, Joseph is going to say this in, a, in another way in chapter 50. It's chapter 50, verse 20, again, talking to his brothers. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about this present result so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph, Joseph saw every obstacle that he faced as an opportunity for God to get the glory and for him to do good. Um, our attitude towards life determines life's attitude towards us. Our attitude towards obstacles can turn them into opportunities. The third attitude that we're going to see in the life of Joseph is this. Our attitude towards the present will determine our attitude toward the future. Our attitude toward the present will determine our attitude toward the future. Look at Joseph when he's in the pit. Look at Joseph when he's in Potiphar's house. Look at Joseph when he's in prison. His attitude was to do whatever God would have him to do with excellence so that God would get the glory. There's this fascinating 
verse to me in, in chapter 39 of Genesis. It's verse 22. Joseph is in prison. And it says this in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Again, unjustly accused, falsely accused. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Then this sentence. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Whatever was done there, Joseph was the one who did it. Our attitude towards the present will determine our attitude towards the future. You see, when we're in a waiting room of life, and Joseph is waiting for God's word to come true, and we saw in Psalm 105, verse 19, that until the time came for his words to be fulfilled, for his dreams to be fulfilled, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. And we've seen that Joseph is being tested, but while he's being tested, he understood that uh, when you find yourself in a waiting room, it's not how long you wait, it's how you wait for whatever length of time. And Joseph was willing to wait with excellence. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller Jr. Said, said this about success. He said, the secret of success is doing the common things uncommonly well. And that's what Joseph did. Whatever was done in prison, he did it uncommonly well. And I've got to believe there were some tasks in a prison that weren't very fun. Cleaning up, taking care, I don't know. But there were some things that weren't fun. But Joseph did the common things uncommonly well. And it was this matter, and it says, and whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. That's where success comes from. When our attitude towards life is right, when we trust the Lord and do good, the attitude uh, towards life is going to change towards us. When we look at obstacles and we see them as opportunities, our attitude towards obstacles turns them into opportunities. We find success. Our attitude... Uh, towards the present determines our attitude towards the future. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it with excellence for His glory and for the good of those around me. And then the final principle, and the one I want to zero in on today, very simply is this. In Joseph's life, our attitude towards people determines people's attitude towards us. Our attitude towards people determines people's attitude towards us. And if I can give you the sermon in a sense, here it is, and this is where we're going to ask you to spend some time in just a few minutes to really think through with the people that are in your house, church, with the people that you're gathered with, with your friends. The sermon in a sentence today very simply is this. Step out of your agenda to make someone else's life better. Step out of your agenda to make someone else's life better. Remember that, said Joseph, whatever he did, he was success and the Lord was with him. And Joseph's attitude towards people just simply amazes me. Let's just go through the list for a minute. Let's think about his attitude towards his father, his father who loved him. Joseph is a teenager. And in Genesis 37, Joseph is just going through an everyday, ordinary teenager life day. And dad interrupts and says to him, hey, I want to know where your brothers are and I want to make sure they're fine. So would you take some food and would you go make sure they're all right? This wasn't on Joseph's agenda for that day, but Joseph simply obeyed his father. And in obeying his father's attitude towards his father was exactly what it needed to be. He, he, he stepped out of his agenda. He stepped out of his teenage agenda to make dad's life a little bit better. It ended up costing Joseph a lot, right? But he did it to make his father's life better. Think about then after he gets sold into slavery, he, he's in Potiphar's house. And it says this, it says in Genesis 38, one day when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men in the house were there. And, his, and Potiphar's wife caught him by his garment. Lie with me, she said. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Joseph was doing everything to make Potiphar's life better. Might he have been tempted? Might he have been... Uh, 
wondering whether or not he should give in to Potiphar's wife. No, he simply uh, stepped out of that to make sure Potiphar's life stayed the best it could possibly be. He had Potiphar in mind. Can I just say a word about that moment? There's sometimes when you step out of your agenda to make somebody else's life better that you don't tiptoe your way out. There's sometimes when you just flee as fast as you can. There's a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, and it says this, run from anything that gives you evil thoughts that young men often have. Stay close to anything that makes you want to do right. Have faith and love and enjoy the companionship of those who love the Lord and call on Him with a pure heart. My friend, there are moments when there is a situation that's going to make somebody else's life better, and we need to run away so that their life can stay good. And so I just want to see that in Joseph's life. He made his father's life better. He stepped out of his agenda to make his father's life better. He stepped out of his agenda to make Potiphar's life better. Think about then when he was in prison. He stepped out of his agenda to make the prison keeper's life better. The prison keeper didn't evidently have to do any work anymore because whatever was done there, Joseph did. He stepped out of his agenda. And I don't know, every day in prison can't be a good day. Every day in prison can't be a happy day. Uh, sometimes it's just going to look awful. But on one occasion, Genesis 39, uh, there are a couple of men, a cupbearer and a baker. And it says this, verse 5. One night both of them dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his master's house, why are your faces so downcast today? Joseph stepped out of his agenda when he saw someone else was troubled. He had work to do, because remember, whatever else was whatever was done in the prison, Joseph did it, but he interrupted his agenda. He stepped out of his agenda to make those that he was around to make their life just a little bit better. And then he's going to interpret the dreams. And then think about uh, when he's with Pharaoh. Think about how much better he made Pharaoh's life when he came and he interpreted the dreams and he said, seven years of bounty, seven years of famine, and Pharaoh put him in charge. And Joseph could have asked and Joseph could have begged and Joseph could have said, send me home, I want to go back. But Joseph stepped out of his agenda to make Pharaoh's life better over and over and over again. And I think when Joseph is meeting with his brothers in Genesis 45, we see that one more time. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. I have a focus and my attitude needs to be towards people. How can I make your life better? How can I make your life better for you and how can I make your life better for your descendants? And that's what's on Joseph's mind. And friends, I just think in the world in which we live today, this principle needs to be recovered because most of the time our attitude towards people does not make their lives better. Our attitude excuse me, our attitude towards people makes them more miserable. And we just see it in the ways that our city is divided and we can be divided over COVID and we can be divided over masks and we can be divided over politics and we can be divided all over all kinds of things. And we take sides and none of us, the majority of us, aren't willing to step out of our side or out of our agenda to make somebody on the other side or somebody with another agenda to make their life better. And I just think if we would understand this principle, our attitude towards people determines people's attitudes towards us. And the scriptures are going to say, what's our attitude towards people ought to be? And, and yes, it's right. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself, right? Yes, and that's easy to say, but what does that really mean? And I think instead of saying it that way, uh, instead of saying, I, I'm going to treat people the other way, uh, the way I want people to treat me, I don't think I need to say it that way. I don't think I need to say it this way. I'm going to treat other people the way God treats me. And how does God treat you? 
just look and read through spend some time with your house church looking through uh, Genesis 45 as, as as Joseph talks about to his brothers three times God sent me here before you God sent me here before you God sent me for you didn't send me here don't worry about it uh, you intended it for evil God meant it for good how does Joseph make their life better he, he eases their anger and grief did you see that he says don't be angry at yourself and don't grieve how many of us, when somebody's just beating themselves up, we just continue to pour onto their anger, we pour onto their grief, and just says, just says, find a way to ease their anger and grief. He says, God sent me here to deliver you. How can you help somebody take a step towards deliverance? Can you introduce them to Jesus? Can you show them that Jesus loves them enough to meet them where they're at, but he loves them too much to let them stay there? Can you help them find freedom? Can you help them find answers to their problems? Can you help them through their struggles? Can you bear their burdens? Can you, can you help deliver them? And then it says, verse 11 says, there I will provide for you. How can you provide for somebody else's need? How can you meet somebody else's need? You see a need, can you just meet it? It's just over and over and over again. This is what happens. And then in Genesis 50, I read part of that to you, verse 20. It says this, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Then verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You wanna make somebody else's day better today? Step out of your agenda, comfort them, and speak kindly to them. Comfort them and speak kindly to them. Friends, I think it's time we investigate our attitudes. When I was growing up, when uh, I was misbehaving, when that process started, my mother would quote my grandmother and she'd say, be careful, you're getting a little too big for your britches. If I didn't heed that instruction and continued to misbehave, my mother and my father would look at me and simply say, uh, it's time for an attitude adjustment. And that attitude adjustment usually involved a paddle to my backside. But it was about my attitude and that my attitude needed to change. And friends, we live in a society and we live in a culture where it's time for our attitudes to change. And I'm tired and I'm weary of people taking stances and not putting others in front of them. And I'm not making any statement. It's not my place and it's never been my place in the pulpit that God has given me to say something like, well, I think everybody should wear a mask or you don't have to wear a mask or everybody should be vaccinated or you don't have to be vaccinated. That's not my place. It is your place to find your convictions between you and God to live those things out. But it is my uh, responsibility as your pastor to say, your attitude matters with the stance that you take. Your attitude matters with the stance that you take, and we, our attitude towards people is going to determine their attitudes for us. And why is there so much hate, and why is there so much division? Because we treat other people with hatred, and we treat other people with division. So I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you. I think it's time for the church to have an attitude adjustment, not just our local church, but the church in general. I think it's time for us to have an attitude adjustment. And Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, told them that very bluntly and very specifically. Listen to this passage of Scripture about attitude. Remember, our attitudes determine our success. Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, beginning to read in verse 5, Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you think we ought to pay attention to that? 
have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And this is how he looked at others and how he viewed his life, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a things to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it starts with our attitude. If we want every voice, everyone who is heaven, everyone who is earth to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God and Father in heaven, our attitude towards one another better change. And it ought to be an attitude of unity and no longer an attitude of division. And we have invited you for many weeks now to join us on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. wherever you are in the world, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that we are talking about what does it mean for us to live like a unified body until unity is the book that we're going through. But my friend, it starts with our attitude. And I just wonder, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I gave you a definition of attitude uh, early on. And the definition was simply the matter of acting, feeling, or thinking that shows one's disposition. This phrase in Philippians 2, I was reading from the New American Standard, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Some of your translations read, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's talking about the thoughts that lead to the actions that lead to the attitudes that we have. You, you remember you remember the old statement, right? Um, so a thought reap, reap an action, so an action reap a habit, so a habit reap a character, so a character reap a destiny. My friend, that's where attitude comes from. And some of us have been sowing the wrong thoughts and the wrong habits and living long habits and having the wrong character. And our character should be a character that says, hey, is it time for an attitude adjustment? And so I just want to ask you today to specifically with the people you're meeting with in your house church, to think through the sermon in a sentence. We'll get back to those four things about attitude. Uh, our attitude towards life determines life's attitude towards us. Our attitude towards obstacles can turn them into opportunities. Our attitude toward the present uh, will determine our attitude towards the future. But let's think about this one. Our attitude toward people will determine people's attitude towards us. And here's the challenge. Step out of your agenda to make somebody else's life better today. We saw Joseph do this as a teenager, teenager uh, student that's listening. Can you obey your mother or your father in some way to do? I know you're busy with work and school and athletics and band and, uh, pro and and homecoming and all the things and your life is busy and you have an agenda. Where is God calling you to step out of your agenda and make your parents' lives better? Parents, where is God calling you to step out of your agenda to make your children's lives better? Husbands, where is God calling you to step out of your agenda to make your life, your wife's life better? Your wife's, your husband's life better. Where in your home, because it's got to start in my heart, it's got to start with my attitude, and it's got to start in my home. Where in my home do I need to step out of my agenda to make somebody's life better? Secondly, where do you need to step out of your agenda in your neighborhood? Is it just mow your yard, shut your door, do your thing, or is God calling you to, to reach your neighborhood, to share and show the love of Jesus in your neighborhood? Where do you need to step out of your agenda, invite somebody to dinner, and make somebody else's life better? Where do you need to do that in this valley? 
needs all around us? Where do you need to step out of your agenda? Where do you need to do that at your workplace? Joseph did it. Let's call Potiphar's house and prison his workplace. And the people that, that worked with Joseph, he made their lives better and he made their work a better place. Where do you need to step out of your agenda at work? And I know you've got things to do and I know God hasn't put you there just to evangelize, but he has called you to make the people's lives around you better. Friends, this is what we want you to think about today. Our attitude towards people will determine people's attitude towards us. And the first act of attitude towards attitude adjustment towards people is humility. That's what the scriptures say. Jesus humbled himself. And I humble myself when I step out of my agenda and put you first. I humble myself when I give up the right to be treated right and say, I'm going to make sure that you get treated right. Friends, we live in a world that is divided. Some of our homes, some of our neighborhoods, some of our cities, our counties, our states, our countries, and God calls us to live differently. And it starts with an attitude adjustment. And that attitude adjustment starts with my attitude towards others. Friends, I believe that God is with you and he wants your life to be a success just like he did Joseph's. But where is God saying, hey, let's have time. It's time for an attitude adjustment. Father God, I just ask you right now in the name of Jesus, that your spirit would lead us into deep discussions about what needs to change in our attitudes. Father, would you show us and help us be specific today where we need to step out of our agenda to make somebody's lives better. Help me do that as a husband. Help me do that as a father. Help me do that as a pastor. Help me do that as a citizen. Help me do that as a neighbor. Help me do that in every situation, God, because you have placed us here and we will trust you and we will do good all the days of our life. Father, show us. And then may we step out of our agenda and make somebody else's life better today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.